0: News Talk 580 CFRA presents The Employment Hour with employment lawyer Leor Samfiru. And we are right back at it just a few minutes after uh, 5 o'clock here and a chance for you to call in any time over the next hour, discuss your workplace rights, your severance, your boss, workplace harassment, anything under that topic is uh, is what we do. Can't wait. Uh, the number six one three five two one 613-521-TALK. Call now. Talk to us. It is a call-in show. And glad to have you uh Along here for the ride, we will get into our discussion of all about overtime, that, and some emails uh, in the future of the show in just a little bit. But first, uh, Lior, I know you want to talk about the uh, the week that was. What is happening for you? I always want to talk about the week that was because it gives us yeah. uh, some
1: uh, interesting stories that we can share with our listeners, things that people can learn from, and hopefully get some, some advice. And by the way, John said it, don't hesitate, don't be bashful call us right now. We're here till six o'clock to answer questions, to help solve problems. And believe me, with the phone call on this show, uh, most often we can answer and, and solve those issues and, and make sure that there's, a, there's no more problems. So don't hesitate. If you have a workplace problem of any kind, let's talk about it. And of course, if you don't want to, call in on the show, not a prom. Happy to talk to you off air when I'm in the office. We'll give you my contact information throughout mm-hmm. the show. Uh, no bad questions whatsoever. Uh, but as we said, week that was. A couple situations that came across my desk just over the past uh, few days. Uh, spoke with a lady uh, right at the beginning of the week who found herself in a very unfortunate situation. She worked in a retail store and uh, she noticed a short a short while ago that her manager, the manager of the store... Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to say it nicely. Well, I guess he was cheating customers. Uh, The way he was Ah. inputting things in the till, uh, it was the wrong prices, and he wasn't applying the proper coupon codes, all in a way to make sure that people pay more than they should. Wrong, and by the way, illegal. Well, she was horrified by it, and she did exactly the right thing. She reached out to the store owner, and she said, guess what I found out? This is terrible. Please do something about it. Well, Unfortunately, she realized pretty quickly that uh, the owner was in on it. And he was, at best, uh, you know, turning a blind eye. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was more than fine doing that because I guess it made more money. So he told her, don't worry, it's fine. Uh, You don't need to do anything. Uh, Everything is okay. Just ignore it. Well, she couldn't ignore it because it's illegal. And she saw it happening. And she called me very frustrated, very scared, frankly, and wanted to know what can she do. Well, here's the thing. Uh, When you're in a situation like this, and you're you're asked to essentially participate in something that's illegal in in the workplace you shouldn't be doing that that goes without saying but by your employer putting you in that situation that's a constructive dismissal Your employer put you in a very uncomfortable situation. Your employer put you in a situation where you're you're compromising potentially your rights, potentially compromising your, your ethics. That's wrong. They cannot do that. You can treat that as a termination of your employment and leave with your full severance. And what I told her is you want to get out of there. But you getting out of there is not just going to be a resignation. It's going to be a constructive dismissal. So I wanted to uh, to remind everyone listening that if your employer is asking you to do something that's wrong, illegal, immoral, or even to be part of that in some way, they can't do that. If they do, that is a constructive dismissal. That's something that you should not participate in. Don't uh, compromise yourself in that way. Leave, get your severance. And, of course, John, they
0: give me a call. I'll take care of it. You bet that reach out info by the way one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred that's the phone number the email just as simple help at employmenthour com just that simple what else you got going on let's work with another lady she was in a very
1: senior financial position uh, you know director of finance or, or something of the sort uh, in a, in a company and she had a team under her she was a manager had mm-hmm. the people reporting to her well the company over the past few months has decided that it wants to cut costs. And in doing that, it kept letting go people from her team so that her team got smaller and smaller. But guess what? The work still needs to be done uh, and she ended up having to take on the bulk of the work. She got extremely busy. She was doing three jobs at once and she really didn't have anyone to delegate to because they were taking her team away. And it got so bad that after a while, uh, and, and the stress, you know, working almost uh, 24/7, she had to go off on a stress leave. And uh, and when she came back, she talked to the company and she said to them, you know, can you do something? And they dismissed it. They said, no, nah, no, nah, it's fine. I'm sure you can manage it. It's it's all good. Huh. Uh, and she, of course, called me and and she wanted to know what can she do. Well, again, as I said before in the previous uh, story. That is also a constructive dismissal. When your employer changes your job in this way, imposes more things, uh, I- increases your workload, that's not something they're allowed to do. When you take on a job, you take on a, p- a, sp- a particular job with particular responsibilities. If now, right. instead of those responsibilities, have those and those and those, well, that's not the job you signed up for which means you can treat that as a constructive dismissal. She didn't get paid more. She got more responsibility. She did the job of three people. She can get out of there with severance. So I'm going to help her do that. And I wanted to remind all our listeners right here on CFRA that if your employer changes your job, gives you more duties, lets people go and gives you their job, and now you're doing more than one job, they can't do that. If that happens to you, we need to have a serious talk.
0: What is the... Pitfalls if she, if you or she or anybody else accepts that change, going ah, I want to be a good. So I'm a team player. I want to muck in and and help out. What's the what's the warning with that? And, and it's a good point because she wanted to be a, a good team player. She wanted to
1: help her company, but oh. she, she physically couldn't do it. But if she continued doing it, after a while, she wouldn't have been able to get out of it. after a while, she yeah. would be considered to have accepted this new situation, this new reality. So even though uh, she didn't want to, after a while, and when with her health you know, being affected, it would have been too bad now. It's too late. So when you're faced with that situation, your job being changed, your responsibilities increased, you have a very small window to do something about that. Usually it's a few weeks, and that's it. Beyond that, if you say, okay, I'm going to give it a six months, well, after six months, even less than that, you're stuck. You're, you've accepted it. There's nothing that you can do. So always a bad idea to sit on your rights because if you sit on your rights, you may lose them.
0: Phone lines, wide open. Reminder, this is a call-in show. We'd love to hear uh, from you, your comments, your questions. Bring them on. That's why we do this uh, every Saturday, Six one three five two one talk Again, Six one three five two one talk Anytime. Call us. Get uh, your questions answer for, uh, answered for sure severancepaycalculator.com we haven't talked about this yet or give me some details on it we love this tool right well
1: we love this tool but honestly people that have used it love it more because it's their money wow. and their livelihood and their rights that are at stake so again uh, we have new listeners here every week and i'm very proud of that severancepaycalculator.com again severancepaycalculator.com the tool that you can go to anytime Any place to find out how much compensation you're owed if you lose your job. Now, there's a lot of terms that people use. Uh, Severance, notice, pay in lieu of notice, termination pay. All we're talking about is compensation that you're owed if you lose your job. When when you go to severancepaycalculator.com, you find that out. You answer three simple questions and you're done. It's free. It's anonymous. It's easy to use. There's no strings attached. And you may ask yourself, well, why do I bother... Uh, going there because I know what it is. It's a week's pay per year service, or maybe it's two weeks pay. Nonsense. I wouldn't have created it if there was that simple. It's not the case at all. It's a lot more than that. You don't believe me? Try it. Go to severancepaycalculator.com. Spoiler alert, it's going to be a lot more than you think.
0: Excited about this topic for this afternoon. We haven't talked about this one in any depth outside of emails and phone calls, and that would be all about overtime. Tell me about it.
1: Well, John, you know, overtime should be or, you know, you think an, a simple topic, but it gets confusing for many and a lot of employers don't do, do this right. And I speak with people with overtime questions every week. Uh, so there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to overtime, a lot of misunderstandings. So we want to talk about that. We want to make sure that people have their questions answered. So we're going to spend some time talking mm-hmm. about overtime so, so that everyone knows what their rights are.
0: We got a couple of minutes before we take our uh, first break and line up the phone calls. Uh, first reminder: How is overtime calculated?
1: So, generally speaking, uh, in Ontario, for for those that are regulated provincially, okay, uh, overtime is calculated as hours worked over forty four hours a week. Now, it's important to remember it's calculated weekly, not calculated daily. So, a lot of people may think, "Well, I worked more than eight hours today, so I get overtime." No. Overtime is paid if you work more than 44 hours a week. Anything over 44 is paid a time and a half. So that's how overtime is, is calculated. And it's one—it's not up to your employer to decide whether they want to or not. 44 hours a week, time and a half, or any hours worked over that. Now, even though that principle may seem simple, it can get more interesting. So we're going we're to talk about some exceptions and how that actually works with different people. Uh, so stay tuned for that.
0: We are going to take a uh, short break. As mentioned, let's get right into this. In the meantime, lots of time now to uh, call in, ask your questions about overtime or any other topic for that matter. 613-521-TALK is the number. Lots more Employment Hour is on the way. This is News Talk 580 CFRA. Now back to the Employment Hour with employment lawyer Leor Samfiru. Phone lines open, ready, pour vous. It is uh, 613-521-TALK to call in, ask your questions anytime. Of course, as we mentioned, severancepaycalculator.com. Find out what you're really owed. Very simple. It's an amazing website. It will open your eyes, and trust me, the number you are thinking. Spoiler alert is way off what it should be. Just in case you're uh, staring down the uh, staring down the barrel of a severance letter, it's going uh, to be something of a surprise. So check it out, severancepaycalculator.com. Back to uh, overtime. Okay, we uh, we know how it's calculated now that we know that who actually gets it? So that's an important
1: uh, issue and an important question to answer. Oh. Uh, and Because uh, a lot of people think, well, overtime maybe is just something for hourly employees. So if you get paid hourly, you get overtime. That's true. Of course, if you are an hourly employee, you get paid overtime. Again, time and a half for anything over 44, right. but not so fast. Salaried employees get overtime in the same way as well. Salaried employees, even if you're not on an hourly, you get a fixed salary. Anything over 44 is hours a week is time and a half. Now, how is that calculated? It's very simple. We simply look at what you earn in a week, what your weekly salary is. We divide that by 44 that gives us an hourly rate. And then time and a half is overtime. Simple as that. So you work 50 hours, you get six hours at, as, at the overtime rate. So it uh, works for, for, for those and it works for all. There's some exceptions, which we'll talk about. But for most people, if you work more than four or four, uh, 44 hours a week, uh, whether you're salaried, hourly, whether you're part-time, full-time, you get overtime uh, calculated this way. And if your employer doesn't pay you, then guess what? Your employer is doing something illegal Your employer is then likely in breach
0: of the Employment Standards Act. How about commissioned employees? I know with salary, you broke down the math, works well, nicely done. How about commissioned employees? What do they do? Very simple. So
1: in a a given week, we simply look at what the employee earned. Uh, We look at their their total earning, including uh, salary and commission earned for that week. And if they work more than 44 hours in that week, again, they get paid overtime. So whatever your average total earnings Sorry, I should say your total earnings in a particular week. We divide that by 44. That gives us an hourly rate. Time and a half is overtime. So it's important to remember that if you're on commission, your commission, uh, average commission is included in calculating your overtime. It's not just your base salary. So, uh, you know, you may have a small base salary, but your total compensation could be significant because you get commission. So again, time and a half includes your commission when you calculate your overtime.
0: Confused by this, scratching your head, no problem, call in, you have time, right, till, uh, till the top of the hour, 613 521 is the number to reach out by email as well, I should, uh, as well, I'll give that as well, help at employmenthour.com, and of course, Lior's direct number to reach him, member of the team as well, 855-821-5900, talking about overtime. Some people, they have to do it. They don't have a choice. It's just it's part of the gig or it, it maybe it didn't start out that way and it's turned into a situation where maybe on a weekly basis they are working overtime even though they, they don't want it. they got to get the job done. Do you have to ask permission to work overtime or does the company just have to pay it even if you work the hours? So the, the basic rule is this. If you work
1: the overtime because it was necessary to get the job done, then the company right. has to pay you the overtime even if you didn't ask for it, even if they didn't approve it. If you worked it because it's necessary, then they have to pay it. Now, if you're simply sticking around the office because you want to get paid, but you're not really doing any work, then uh, not so fast. Then you probably <laughs> are not going to be able to, to establish that you're at overtime. But if it's legitimate, the company has to pay for it. Now, where it gets interesting is some companies have rules. They say, no, no, you're not allowed to work overtime uh, unless we approve it, unless you get permission. Right. But here's the thing. If, even in those situations, even in those situations where a company has a rule and they tell you don't work overtime unless we approve it, if you had to work it to get uh, the work done, they have to pay it. They cannot refuse to pay overtime that was worked. Now, in some situations, if you worked overtime, you weren't supposed to work, that can become a disciplinary issue. You may have done something uh-huh. that you're not supposed to. So you've got to still be careful there. So I do think it's the best approach. If you're going to need to work overtime, but your company is telling you not to, you want to put that in writing. You want to say to them, company, you told me not to work overtime, but heads up that I'm not going to be able to get the job done today or this week. So are you sure you don't want me to work the overtime? And you put put it on them because in that situation, if they know that you're not going to get the work done and -hmm. they still are telling you uh, not to work overtime, then they're going to have a very difficult time complaining that you didn't get the work done. So I would always, if, if possible, do what the company says. But if despite this, you work the overtime, even though the company may not have approved it, the company still has to pay you the hours. They don't get to say, we're not going to pay it because we didn't approve it. If you worked it, they have to pay it.
0: You know, it's funny that, uh, that last part you said there, Just it, it seems to be the general rule for everything about your working life. Get everything in writing, write everything down, send an email. doesn't matter how you do it, but document it and keep it, right? You can never, ever go wrong.
1: You'll never in your life, when it comes to your workplace rights, regret putting something in writing, okay? It Mm -hmm. it can't happen. Whenever something happens, you wish there was a record, put it in writing. Whenever someone says to you something verbally and you wish, oh my God, I wish this was in writing, well, put it in writing yourself. Uh, When you want to make sure that your employer gets the message or you're telling them something, you want them not to be able to say later on that you, you didn't tell them put it in writing. If you put it in writing, you're always going to be ha- glad that you did. And then when you call me because you're asking me for help to resolve your workplace issue, you're going to make my life that much easier if you can show me the things that you put in writing.
0: Call now with your questions or comments, rebuttals, whatever. Bring them on. 613-521-TALK is the number. Are there people that can get overtime even if they work less, fewer than 44 hours a week? Yeah.
1: In, in some situations, absolutely. And that comes down to your employment agreement. So If you sign an employment agreement that says uh, you you get overtime after 40 hours or 30 hours or five hours, then you get overtime. Your employment agreement can provide you for better terms than 44 hours. They can't provide you with lesser terms. So what I mean by that, your employment agreement can say we're only going to pay you overtime after 48 hours a week because, again, 44 hours is is what the law says, but it can say 40 hours. So it's always a good idea to look at your employment agreement. Your employment agreement can also say, we're going to calculate your overtime daily. So it could say, we'll pay you overtime if you work more than eight hours a week. Now, strictly speaking, the company Mm -hmm. doesn't have to do that. But if your employer employment agreement says that it it will, then they have to. Your employer always has to comply with your employment agreement. Now, this brings us something that I didn't mention earlier, that there's some exemptions and exceptions to overtime. So we talked about the fact that salaried employees get overtime but there's some people that are exempt. For example, and probably the, the biggest, most common uh, exception is managers. If you are a manager and you manage people, uh, you're not entitled to overtime, unless of course your employment agreement says that you do, but generally you're not entitled to it. Now, here it's important to understand that just because you have the title of, the, of a manager doesn't make you a manager. So if I'm, I have a fancy title, uh, manager of production, but I'm not really managing anyone, it's just a fancy title, well, I still get overtime right. because I'm not a real manager. So managers are exempt, real managers are exempt. There's other professions, for example, professionals. Uh, doctors, lawyers, nurses, accountants uh, exempt from overtime. Other uh, professions as well, uh, IT professionals, uh, certain people uh, that uh, in, are in the pool cleaning uh, business, uh, pool installers. Uh, but beyond that, most people, as I said before, John, get overtime after
0: 44 hours a week. What is the you know you mentioned being you know having the label of a manager, but you're working on your own, you're not managing anybody. What if you're you're working overtime and your employer refuses to pay you and say no no you owe me the overtime you're like no no you're a manager. How do you prove or how do you rebut that saying I'm not really a manager, man. You just put that on my business card, okay? Yeah, and and I, I would. I would
1: challenge your employer. I mean, by challenging, I'm not talking about, you know, you're, you're gonna go in there and challenge them to a duel, but, uh, I'm gonna, <laughs> I would put that in writing. Well, I'm actually not a manager. Here's my responsibility. I'm not managing anyone. Uh, right. and, and try to resolve this internally. Try to show your employer that you're not really a manager. By the way, they probably know that. But the reality is, if your employer is inclined to try to avoid paying you overtime, you may have to escalate it. And by escalated, mm. two options. You can file a complaint for your overtime pay with the Ministry of Labor. That's number one. Okay. Number two, you can get me to help you. I can send a letter to the company saying, hey, you got to pay the overtime. Uh, now, here's something else you got to understand. If your employer won't pay you overtime when they should be, that could be a constructive dismissal. They're right. breaching the terms of your employment. You may be able to treat that as a termination and get severance. If you're owed money and they're not paying it to you and they're not being reasonable about it, you may be able to get out of there and still get your severance because it's your employer that's not complying with your legal obligations. If you are in that situation and you want to uh, not continue working because your employer is not paying you what they owe you, uh, I want to talk to you before you do anything else.
0: That number, by the way, to get a hold of Lior and the team uh, there at the office, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 855 821 5900 That's anytime, by the way, or help at employmenthour.com. Uh when you lose your job, does your severance have to include your average overtime compensation with all the other components that it should? This is huge. And the answer is absolutely yes. And there's people that make uh. a lot of
1: money in overtime. I've spoken with people that made seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year just in overtime. So so remember, if you're working overtime regularly and you lose your job, when it comes to calculating your severance, your overtime has to be included. So we look at your average earnings. Your base salary may be $30,000, but with overtime, you could be making $50,000. So if on average, you make $50,000, that is the, the amount that we use to calculate your severance, not just your base salary. So salary was would be included, uh, overtime hours, bonus, benefits, car allowance, everything has to be included in calculating severance. And I can tell you based on my experience, it's extremely common for employers mm-hmm. to, uh, quote unquote, forget to include severance uh, sorry, sorry, they include overtime in the severance. Well, if they do, that is a wrongful dismissal. It has to include your total compensation, uh, and, and for many people, that could be a lot of money. Anything less than that, John, is a wrongful dismissal.
0: Is that something they can they can write themselves out of through the mechanism of an employment agreement? Potentially,
1: yes. In, in, in ah. some ways, at least significantly limit their liability. So an employment mm-hmm. agreement can be very beneficial to the employer. It can limit someone's right. severance in, in, in a number of ways. So we always want to look at that and don't assume to just because you signed an agreement that looks like it could limit your termination entitlements, don't assume that it actually does. In many cases, that's not enforceable. So, many, so, so important then to get advice if you lose your job. Don't leave anything to chance.
0: Going to take a short break. here. going to bounce over to understanding the duty to accommodate. And prior to that, we'll get to an email or two. It is help at employmenthour.com. By the way, you'll want to send one over. And still plenty of time to call in the show here now. It is a live uh, call-in show. So 613-521-TALK. That is the number we'll talk to you after a, a short break. It's the Employment Hour News Talk 580 CFRA. Now back to the Employment Hour with employment lawyer, Lior Samfiru. Plenty of time for you to call in, ask your questions. Again, that number six one three five two one. 613-521-TALK. We will uh, get over to the phones now that uh, Robert's been uh, patiently waiting on the sidelines. Hey, Robert, uh, how are you today?
2: Oh, I'm doing
0: great. Great. What's your question?
2: Well, basically what it is, I've heard about m- most of these uh, arguments uh, about it before. And uh, there were some people that I knew that I had worked with before that uh, said uh, that uh, if the wages are good like that, instead of having a thing called overtime, it would have been okay to have uh, something called extension in which they would just have the, the same rate going, you know, for, for e- each hour. So how would that work? Give me an example. Okay. What could uh, and, and end up happening, um, I know that uh, one, one example they have in, in a place at, the, at Canada Post, what ends up happening when a person's working on a certain day for eight hours, any time above the eight hours on one day, um, they're supposed to be paid uh, overtime. The first two hours is just one and a half, and then anything past that point is double. Well, that,
1: that is still overtime, my it's just a different way of calculating it and one of the things we said earlier is that an employment agreement can change the way overtime is calculated and then you mentioned Canada Post, Canada Post employees would be governed by a collective agreement which is their employment agreement and it, it does provide for more generous terms than the 44 hours a week. You can get overtime even if you work more hours in a certain day uh, regardless of what you work during that week. So, So that is absolutely possible. But the general rule is if, if you didn't agree to something that changes this dynamic, hmm. then your employer has to pay you overtime after 44 hours a week. But you're, you're absolutely right that some employees and employers agree to different ways to, to pay overtime, but it has to be at least as generous as the 44 hours a week. They can't agree to something that would result in less than the whole 44 hours time and a half uh, scenario. Anything uh, less than that would be illegal. It doesn't matter what the employer and employee want to do.
2: Okay, basically, uh, it, it is. If 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 it is uh, legal, then it should end up uh, taking place. Sure. I mean, an employer and employee do have the ability to agree
1: on terms, as long as is it, it meets a certain baseline, right? Uh, and that's oftentimes what, what parties do, what employers and employees do when they agree to to start working together. They agree to do some things. For example, you know, vacation. For most people, vacation is two weeks per year. But most people or a lot of people have more than two weeks per year. They can agree to different things, but an employer and employee couldn't agree, for example, to one week per year because it has to meet that baseline. Uh, so that's the key. The baseline always has to be met, John, but anything more than that, the employer and employee can agree to.
0: All right, thank you Robert. Appreciate your call. Uh you want to follow up 18558215900 is that number? You know, we heard uh during the last news brief uh about John McCallum. Um it, I don't know, it sounded kind of weird for me. It it basically sounds like he was asked to resign. That's that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: so so <laughs> exactly. It it doesn't work from a legal standpoint. So right. you know the boss in this case our prime minister uh Justin Trudeau walks into Mr. McCallum's office and says, "Well, I expect your resignation in the morning." Well, and mm-hmm. Mr. McCallum then complies and resigns. That's fine and and we, you know I'm not talking about whether or not uh what Mr. McCallum did was right or wrong. That's a different issue. But from a legal standpoint, Mr. McCallum then resigning or anyone in that situation resigning that is still a termination, okay? Because he didn't just decide he didn't want to work anymore. His boss, in this case, the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, told him he has to resign. So, what would have happened if he said no? He would have been terminated. So he decided it's best for me to resign. But from a legal standpoint, it doesn't change the fact that that's a termination. So I want us—I want to just to mention that, having heard the story on the news, because uh, our listeners may find themselves in that situation, not. With respect to Justin Trudeau, of course, but with respect to their own employer. If your employer tells you, I expect you to resign, and you resign as a result, that is a termination, because your employer is telling you you're not working here anymore, essentially. Unless there's a good reason why you're going to resign, don't. Uh, So Mr. McCallum chose to resign, that's fine. But for you, our listeners, if you're listening right now and your employer says, I expect you to resign, your response should be, "Uh, no thanks, I'm not going to resign. If you want to let me go, go ahead. Don't allow your employer to say, no, no, this was voluntary. If you leave the company and it's not voluntary, that is a termination and you're owed severance.
0: Lots of time for you to call in. Still, 613-521-TALK is the number to reach out. Uh, you want to email help at employmenthour.com. In the meantime, I want to move on to uh, understanding that duty to accommodate. What is that? What does that mean? What is the duty to accommodate? Well, the duty to accommodate,
1: John, is an obligation that an employer has to help an employee in certain situations. So an employer in some situations has to provide help, accommodation, assistance to an employee in order for that employee to continue doing their job. Probably the most common example is a situation where an employee needs help because they have a physical condition, a disability. So an employee may say, I need help because I can't anymore lift uh, more than 30 pounds or I need help because I need some modified duties or modified hours. Well. The employer then has to provide that help, and that's a duty to accommodate. In many cases, an employer has a legal obligation. I'm not talking about a moral or an ethical obligation, a legal obligation to provide help. Now, that legal obligation to provide that help, that accommodation, is only if the the request is tied to a human right. What I mean by that, uh, it can't you don't have to accommodate me because I am a basketball fan or a hockey fan and I want to go catch the game uh, after work, so you have to accommodate me by allowing me to leave early. No, because being a hockey fan is not a human right. On the other hand, if I have a medical condition and I need to go to regular doctor appointments to treat that, then you will have to accommodate me right. uh, by allowing me to work uh, less or uh, leave early. So if the accommodation has something to do with religious reasons or, or disability uh, or even being in a, in a parent and child relationship, the company has to accommodate, and they have to accommodate, John, even if it's difficult.
0: So who has the right to be accommodated? Everybody that's
1: a part of the workforce? Well, everybody that's ha- ha- part of a workforce uh, that, that's covered by our laws, has a duty, to, uh, a right to be accommodated, and every employer yeah. has a duty to accommodate. But again, it's not in every situation. It's only when it triggers a human right. Probably the most common is a disability when the, the company has to accommodate by providing modified hours, modified duties, etc. Religious reasons. So someone may not be able to work on a particular day, maybe on a Saturday for religious reasons. So they have to be accommodated. Even in situations where there's a parent, maybe there's a single mom and she needs to be able to be uh, to pick up her child at a certain time from daycare because there's no one else well the company may have to accommodate that by by scheduling her in a particular way so whenever there's a human right uh, attached to it the company is under a very strict legal duty to provide that accommodation
0: That last one sounded like it's an issue of family status how about if it's someone like a, a ch- the other way around a child is taking care of uh, you know a parent that's infirm can't handle himself they have to leave every wednesday at 2 p.m. to go take care of their father, for instance, would that qualify as well? Absolutely. That is definitely a duty
1: to accommodate. And and let's face it, in this day and age, when we have an aging population, many of us may find ourselves in a situation where we have to care for an aging parent. Uh, And that may mean uh, being there with them to to provide care, maybe taking them to appointments, et cetera. And, And an employer has to accommodate that. Now, it's not enough to say, hey, my, my mom is older, I need to be able to, to go see her. Right. That's not necessarily enough. But in a situation where you're the main provider and there's really no, no other reasonable way uh, to, to provide care for the parent, then the company has to accommodate you. So yes, parent and child relationship, uh, whether you're the parent or, or the child, you have that duty to be, or the right to be accommodated. And uh, if the employer doesn't, that's a human rights violation. So this is when we talk about the violations of the human rights code, a failure to accommodate. If the company says, no, no, we don't want to, that's wrong, that's illegal, and the human rights code can come down pretty hard on employers to do that.
0: Is your word of mouth good enough or you need some some paper backing you up saying you need accommodation for X, Y reason? Well, in some situations, your,
1: your employer may ask for corroboration. So, for okay. example, if you have a disability and you need accommodation because of that, the company can ask to see something from a doctor, even in situations where you may have uh, uh, oh you need accommodation for religious reasons, you need to go to to a service, etc, they may ask for a letter from the, the priest, the minister, whoever uh, leads that that group that you 're part of uh, hmm. to, to confirm that you have that uh, that need that you 're part of that group so that 's fine, so your employer can ask for corroboration. Uh, as long as it's reasonable. And once they get that corroboration, they can't say, well, you know, we don't want to. It's a, it's a pain in the butt. Uh, it's too hard. The company has a very strict legal duty to accommodate. We call this an accommodation to the point of undue hardship. That means accommodating even if it's difficult. Uh, it's, it's not just accommodating, oh, it's easy to do, no problem. No. Even in a situation where it may cost the company money, even in a situation where the company has to make some, some real changes, they have to accommodate, and uh, anything, again, less than that, John, is a human rights violation.
0: Well, that that's the natural next question is how far do they have to go? When is enough is enough for the
1: employer? And, and that is you know, where a lot of uh, arguments happen and, and a lot of fights yeah. even happen because at some some point it is too difficult, right? At some point the company says, well, this is going to cost so much money to accommodate. This is going to turn our entire company upside down. We can't do it. now." And, and yes, at some point it does become more difficult. And it's difficult to say in a vacuum when that point is. But here's the thing: uh, if you're working for a huge, huge company uh, with a lot of resources, a lot of employees, a company like that is going to be—it's going to be very difficult for them to say we can't accommodate because there's so much a big company can do. They can move things around, people around. There's resources, etc. So right. it's going to be very difficult for a big company to say no, no, we don't want to accommodate. On the other hand, if you're working for a tiny little employer with two employees. Well, an employer like that may have a much more difficult time accommodating because there's not a lot of resources. So they may reach that point of too much is too much, uh, more, more, more easily or more, or uh, quickly. So, you know, the devil's in the details. If you're in a situation where your employer won't accommodate you, they say, no, we can't, we don't, we're not able to, it's too difficult. We need to talk. I'm going to want to find out more about you, about the company, about the company's resources, because in my experience, John, in most cases, when the company says they won't accommodate, they're actually still under a legal obligation to provide accommodation.
0: Short break. Still some time for you to call in, ask your questions about this or any other topic as far as that is concerned. 613-521-TALK is the number. It's the Employment Hour on News Talk 580 CFRA. Now back to the Employment Hour with employment lawyer, Lior Samfiru. And right back at it we go. Still got some time. 613-521-TALK. Call in, ask a question here for the remaining time on this show. In the meantime, talking about the uh, duty to accommodate. So if you're an employee and you know that uh, your employer has the, the means to accommodate, provide accommodation for you, but chooses not to do so, how can you tell? Or can you?
1: Well, you know, it's it's really interesting. Uh, In some cases, it's obvious, right? In some cases, you'll know that they can because you say, "Look, wait, there's a job right there. You can give me, employer. Why aren't you giving me that job?" Or your employer may have provided that accommodation before. I, by the way, I've right now I have a case on my uh, on my desk where someone has been accommodated. In fact, the accommodation was for him that he'd uh, work from home uh, because, for medical reasons, he couldn't travel to the office, and for the last year and a bit. His employer was accommodating him by allowing him to work from home. Well, they literally sent him a letter a week ago, two weeks ago, saying, well, we, we can't accommodate anymore. It's too difficult. Well, nothing had really changed, right? And it's difficult for them to say, yes, we could do it for a year, but we can't do it beyond that. Now it's all of a sudden becomes too difficult. Right. So generally speaking, when a com- company has already provided accommodation, it's very difficult for them to say, now we don't want to. Now it's too tough. Now it's uh, we're going to stop accommodating. So in some cases, it's very obvious. In other cases, it's unclear as to whether they can or whether they cannot. So I would tell your employer, why can't you? Can you explain what you've done to try to, to look? What, what's the reason? How did you come to the conclusion right. that you cannot accommodate? And if your employer won't give you any information, they'll, they won't answer, or they'll say, we just concluded it, well, then there's pro- they probably didn't try enough. They probably didn't really take a hard look at their ability to accommodate because it, they figured it's just going to be a pain in the butt, and we don't want to. Well, again, it doesn't work that way. They have to accommodate, and if they don't, human rights violation... By the way, John, not only that could be a human rights violation, that failure to accommodate can be a constructive dismissal as well. So you have significant entitlements if if you're asking for accommodation, if you legitimately need that accommodation, and your employer won't provide it.
0: What happens to said employer if they've been asked or at least requested by an employee that legitimately needs accommodation and they turn around and get fired? What happens then?
1: Wow. That's, that's even worse. That's an even worse human rights violation. It can also be what we call a reprisal. So if you're trying to uh, stand up for your uh, legal rights and enforce your legal rights and uh, as a return, in return you get fired. My gosh. That is probably one of the worst and and frankly dumbest things that an employer can do. Never do that. It's one thing to say, we're well, not going to accommodate. That's probably illegal on its own, but to then go on and let the person go for, the, for having the audacity to, to ask for accommodation, no, it's illegal. It, it's, it couldn't be more illegal. Uh, it's probably it's one of the worst things an employer can do, and if that happens, don't hesitate. Don't take a minute. Call me right away. Email me. We need to have a serious chat. There's going to be significant entitlements here, and for those employers listening, Take take a hard look in terms of accommodation at what you're able to do. Uh, do try because that's what the law says you have to do. If you conclude legitimately that it's impossible, fine. But whatever you do, please don't do the, the dumb thing of actually letting the person go. Uh, th- th- there's going to be significant consequences if that happens.
0: To reach out, by the way, 1-855-821-5900, help at That's where we're going to bounce over to now, get a couple emails underway here. Crystal writes in, says, I'm a private school teacher, and my contract gets renewed at the end of the school year. The school just changed ownership, and I don't think they'll renew my contract again. Uh, if that happens, do I get severance?
1: Very common situation with private schools. Oftentimes, uh-huh. I've seen in private schools... The the teachers sign a contract every year for the school year, and then you know they sign another one for the next year, and on and on right. we go. Uh, but here's the thing, John, and we've talked about this before, so our regular listeners uh, may hopefully know this already. If you sign a series of contract, contract ends, you sign a new one, contract ends, you sign a new one, and around and around we go, you, you become a regular indefinite employee. That contract becomes meaningless. Usually when you're signing more than two of these contracts, you're into the third and beyond, that contract becomes meaningless because now you're expecting to continue working. You're not wondering whether or not you're going to be working uh, next year because you know, yeah, they'll have me sign a contract, I'll sign it, then we'll continue. So you're an indefinite employee. What does that mean? That means that if at some point they say, now we're not going to renew the contract, now we're going to say goodbye to you, well, then you're going to be owed severance because that contract would really be going out the window. So for this person that sent us that email, the private school teacher, yeah, of course you're out severance. Absolutely you're owed severance. If you sign a bunch of contracts over the years, happens all the time with teachers and, and many other professions as well. You're going to be owed full severance based on your age, your position, and the length of your employment. You can go to severancepaycalculator.com to get more information right. about that. Uh, and, and the fact that you signed a contract is not going to change that. And, and for employers, think about it. Don't. No, there's no point having someone sign a contract every year. If you're going to keep them long-term, just treat them as they are, as an, a regular, indefinite employee. Having them sign a contract every year is actually pointless. It doesn't do anything. Uh, so I, I don't really see why you would ever do that.
0: What is the perceived benefit for
1: an employer to keep doing that? Well, the perceived benefit is the employer thinks that, well, they're not a regular employee, so if we choose not to renew them, we won't have to pay them severance. Ah. It's the idea of to try to save money in severance. You know, We're going to keep John till the end of the year, and if we don't want to, to keep him beyond that, then we won't have to pay John severance. But if you've been uh, doing this with John every year, and this is like the fifth contract now that John has signed... Well, then it becomes meaningless, and you have to pay severance. So it, you know, it's an interesting idea, but it doesn't work that way. The, the smarter thing for employers, if they, they're concerned about paying severance, is to have a proper employment agreement, not a mm-hmm. fixed term one, with a termination clause, with language that limits severance. If it's properly drafted, it could limit severance. But having a fixed term contract like that doesn't do it, doesn't operate, uh, not, not when you go beyond
0: two contracts. I was going to say two is about the threshold. Maybe three if you're uh, if you're lucky.
1: Yeah, you know, usually the first two, no problem. Once you're into three and beyond, it becomes pointless, meaningless, and, yeah. and you're considered the regular employee. Uh, and if your employer decides this year you're not coming back anymore, we're going to shake hands and say goodbye. You can say, yeah, I'll definitely say goodbye. But guess what? You owe me my severance.
0: Got about a minute and a half here to go. I can slide in. Frank quickly says, I applied for a job, went through two interviews, after which I was offered the position. Two days, count them, two days before I was supposed to start. HR manager calls me, told me they've uh, decided, I'm not going to hire you after all. He's upset. I bet he is. Frank is upset, says, is there anything I can do?
1: Well, absolutely. If you can show that because you've been promised this job, you lost something, maybe you quit your other job, uh, maybe you decided not to pursue another good opportunity that you had, then you are compensation for what you've lost. We call this a wrongful hire. We've, we've talked many times about a wrongful dismissal. Well, this is a wrongful hire. If you've been essentially offered a job, accepted it, and then the company's reneged on that, right. and because of that, uh, you've lost something, you can get compensated for what you've lost. So yes, you absolutely can do something about that. I've uh, Earlier, in two, well actually, probably six months ago in 2018, uh, I settled the case for significant compensation, over $30,000 oh. for someone that didn't work a day because of nice. this wrongful hire. So if that happens to you, yeah, we definitely should have a talk.
0: Good for another week, uh, and thank you for uh, for listening. Anytime you want to reach out now that we're done until uh, until next Saturday, it's 1 of course. And the email is help at employmenthour.com, and, uh, as well as consulting Lior members' team before you make any move. Always go to severancepaycalculator.com as well. Till next time, this has been the Employment Hour on News Talk 580 CFRA.